one of the big things that we focus on is learning to recognize and rest in our own belovedness, that we are the beloved of God. And when we can learn to rest in that space, then everything else, you know, it, then, the, then the load, the yoke is easy. The burden is light. Welcome to Hope Renewed, helping you find new hope when ministry leaves you hopeless. The Hope Renewed podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. Here are your hosts, Tom Jameson and Sean Nemechek. Today we are glad to have good friends Joe Chambers and Jeremy Fry uh, with us here on Hope Renewed. Joe and Jeremy, welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. It is wonderful to be here. And Joe, we've had you on the podcast before, and uh, just a fascinating time to hear your story. So, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your spiritual journey, your ministry journey. Yeah, you bet. Um, I was raised in the church. My parents, uh, I, I tell people I started going to church nine months before I was born. My parents uh, came, went to the church that they were married in. I grew up in that church. I started serving in that church with my mom in Sunday school when I was, you know, 13 or 14 years old. Um, Since a call into ministry uh, in middle school and, um, and then that ended up uh, leading me down a path towards uh, going to Bible college. And while I was in Bible college served at my home church as the, as the worship leader um, had a band. And so, my church thought it wise to ask my 17 year old self with all of my 16 year old friends to uh, lead worship for the church. And we did for several years and then served at uh, another small church um, following that sort of multiple year internship before uh, moving to Colorado and served in Colorado for 18 years as a pastor in, in the same church there Um and my spiritual journey has sort of taken me a, a lot of different places. I, um, I am a denominational mutt, as they say. I had a grand, I had a grandmother who was raised Pentecostal and was a Pentecostal worship leader and part of that sort of movement for a long time. And a mom who was raised uh, in the Baptist Church, and I grew up in the Christian Church Church of Christ movement, and then served in a Baptist church for a lot of years. And so my I kind of all over the place denominationally and, and have uh, experienced a lot of really good things from all those different spaces and, and also, you know, experienced kind of the difficulties of those different spaces as well. Um, but my spiritual journey really has led me to um, uh, uh, seven or eight years ago now really began to explore my own faith journey and, and started to think, well, man, if this is all there is, this sort of constant serving, this constant being engaged with um, all of the all of the boxes that have to be ticked to to serve in sort of traditional pastoral ministry, if this is all there is, this I don't know, I don't I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can keep doing this. This doesn't seem sustainable to me. Um, I had a daughter at the time that uh, that was four. And I just had a brand new baby boy and life was getting real hectic. And so, um, and I wasn't slowing down and life wasn't slowing down. And I, I just kind of 
came to this place where I knew that I needed to, to do some more internal work. Uh, not because I was feeling like I was, uh, headed down a, a path that was necessarily bad. I wasn't in, I didn't feel like I just, I didn't feel like life wasn't working. I just felt like I couldn't handle it anymore. It wasn't mm. sustainable for me. And that led me down a um, kind of a path towards what, what does it look like to care for my own soul so that I can better care for the soul of uh, souls of others, uh, the people that I lead and the people that I work with. And, and which is how I met Joe um, through some of that work. We were serving on a, a uh, ministry, I don't know, a board together and started realizing we kind of shared some, uh, some heart and some, you know, thoughts around uh, a lot of different things and, and just started we talking. We were snarky together. That's true. We, we were in the we national meeting <laughs> and we were making fun of the whole process and being bad. That's true. We were, that, that <laughs> happened. Uh, but, and we also had, had recognized through some conversation that, that we were on some similar journeys uh, when it came to, to just what does it mean to be, um, to enter, to be, be a pastor and be uh, be a soul care provider as one who has really done their own work and and mm. has done the deep work to take care of their own soul, um, you know. And growing up in a space where the idea of you know self care was selfish, you know, to, that was a change for me and something, but something I knew I needed. And mm. so I, um, and so that exploration kind of got me connected to Joe. And then as we had sort of experienced this for ourselves, just realized, man, we, we would, this, this is needed in, mm. in the world that we operate in and how, how do we, how do we then offer this and care for others? So. Would, would you say that was more a journey of recapturing your faith or, or diving deeper into your faith? Yeah, it was that it was both. Um, <laughs> there were pieces that I felt like I was losing and there were pieces that I felt like I needed to lose. And, um, some pieces that I felt like I had held on to, um, out of fear and held on to out of like, well, if it's, if it's, if this isn't it, then what is it? But, and some of that was learning to let that go and to recognize that there was then a, a sort of deeper experience, a deeper journey that to be gone on. So Amy and I had the privilege of being with both of you uh, this summer at one of your Sacred Journey retreats. Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, I'm curious to hear the story. We've heard a little bit from Jeremy, but just the, the bigger story of how these Sacred Journey retreats got started. Well, I guess I'll, I'll start with the, this. Um, my wife and I have for years wanted to, we thought we, thought we wanted to have a bed and breakfast for ministers. And um, when we retired, we thought that would be a journey we'd like to go down. Um, but when I'm when we moved back to Colorado, which is both she and I's home state, we reconnected with um, friends that I have known since 1987, and Mike and Carolyn, and who happened to be Jeremy's mother-in-law and father-in-law. And but Mike and Carolyn and Lynette and I have been friends for years and. Uh, so we just started talking one day and thought, you know what, at this station in our life, we're both at that time, late 50s, uh, we thought this would be 
a good time for us to give back to uh, the generation that is following in terms of ministry. And we dreamed up the idea of having a retreat. And uh, the four of us were going to host it in his home in Breckenridge. And then some one, one retreat would be in our home in Buena Vista. Both very beautiful places, kind of resort places, places where people might want to come. And as we were dreaming this up and thinking about it, uh, one day I said to Mike, I said, what makes you and I think that anyone's going to want to come hear what two broken down old <laughs> retreads like you and I have to say? And this is what Mike said, because we live in a beautiful place. And he's, he's right about that. I mean, who wouldn't want to come to a home at the base of Mount Princeton mm. for a retreat? Who wouldn't want to come to a home in Breckenridge? where um, every bathroom in the house has a bedroom. I mean, this is Mike built the house. So it was just a beautiful kind of uh, beginning. And the more we talked about it, one day we were dreaming up, you know, somebody, one of the guys said that was helping Mike, what are we going to call this retreat? We just call it a retreat. What are we going to call it? And I went, uh, soul care retreat. No, that didn't work. And I said something else. And then I looked on my bookshelves, looked for a title and uh, suddenly Fred, Frederick Beekner's book, The Sacred Journey, mm-hmm. was right there at eye level mm-hmm. on my bookshelf behind me. And I went, how about The Sacred Journey? And in unison, all of them said, that's it. And so that's how the title of our retreat uh, came from Frederick Beekner's uh, book title. And the more that Mike and Carolyn, Lynette and I, we just love doing it together Um and then along the way, Jeremy went through the Soul Care Institute and Jeremy and I had started having those conversations that Jeremy referred to. And we, when, I think after the first one or second one, Jeremy, I can't remember, we invited Jeremy to participate. And Jeremy and I just started to, to work. It just seemed like we worked well together, kind of like in a jazz ensemble. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're in a good jazz ensemble, I mean, I'm told I don't play an instrument, <laughs> but they can almost anticipate where the other yeah. person's going and they can they can riff off of one another. And Jeremy and I started doing that together and um, it became pretty clear that this was turning into Joe and Jeremy's retreat, not Joe and Mike's retreat. And that transition occurred organically and naturally and with the blessing of everyone. Mm. And then then Jeremy, so Jeremy and I started doing these retreats together along with my wife. Um, I think we, we'd finished our last, our ninth one last week. Um, And so we've done at least seven together. So that's kind of how it started. And we're going to delve into a little bit more of what the the retreat entails, but you both also serve pastors in unique ways outside of of the retreat setting. Um, Just briefly, tell us us about your ministry and um, what are you seeing in the lives of pastors? What trends are you noticing? Well, I I work with a counseling center here in my my town, um, Crossroads Counseling of the Rockies, and it's a Christian Counseling Center, and uh, about the beginning of COVID, I was invited to be a part of that as a pastoral presence, and so folks have been coming to this particular counseling center since 2001 from all over the country, many of them ministry leaders, and so Pete Kuyper was the founder of that um, 
co-founder of the ministry asked me to come alongside and provide soul care. And he, and he feels felt like that many of the pastors that come there while he is a Christian therapist, a Christian therapist does not know what it's like to sit in a board meeting when the board kind of turns on a pastor or um, he doesn't know necessarily what it's like to be caught up in some of the politics, internal politics of the church and all the unique things, the isolation, the loneliness, the, the grind of ministry. And so having um, a seasoned pastor come alongside and be a pastoral voice and to operate and kind of work on the interior life um, of the of the folks that come for the counseling intensive seemed like a good fit. So we started doing it and it's worked really well. Um, so the therapist at the, at the counseling center work on the clinical side of things, the pathologies that are involved in what causes people issues. And I work on their, the contemplative life. And let's talk about your prayer life and how do you engage in the scriptures and how do you care for your own soul and what's going on inside and how do you hear God? All of those kinds of questions. So we've been doing that since um, the spring of 2020. And my goodness, uh, that has opened up all kinds of opportunities for follow-up soul care sessions from folks that have come through here and then invitations to go present some of the soul care work and teachings that we do uh, to some churches' staffs. And so from Bakersfield, California, all the way to Orlando, uh, Florida, we've done kind of uh, work with staff um, mm. for some of these larger churches. Um, I've been to one in Nashville, a large church in Nashville. So um, that's how I got involved. In, and um, and so I do a lot of soul care sessions away from the counseling center. And just in fact, the hour right before we started this conversation, I was on a Zoom call with a pastor from Orlando, Florida, and did some soul care with him. So that's that's how I got involved in what I do. Mm. Yeah. And for me, um, after serving for 20 years as a pastor, I transitioned from uh, full-time pastoral ministry in the church to really serving. Um, I, I went through some a lot of training, have become a spiritual director. And a lot of the work that I do is with pastors and ministry leaders. A lot of the directees that I meet with, um, our pastors and ministry leaders, we, we come alongside uh, people from all different spaces, not just ministry spaces in the organization that I work with, but, um, but we definitely, I definitely have a lot of work, uh, do a lot of work with pastors. And, and what I seem to, what I'm finding is that pastors are just really tired and yeah. they're, you know, worn out and um, exhausted Burned out on religion, burnout, <laughs> burnout on religion, stressed. <clears throat> stressed about the fallout of COVID still, you know, Joe and I've had conversation that uh, we don't really feel like COVID, the, the fallout of COVID is over, especially for pastors and ministry leaders, that mm -hmm. there's just a lot of, you know, as things get back to normal, whatever that means, that there's just mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, of stuff that's going to need to be processed moving forward. And so, and I, I'm seeing that in my spiritual direction practice, that there are a lot of pastors that are just kind of uh, floundering isn't the right word, but definitely trying to sort of figure out, navigate what a new normal looks like and what does it mean for them? And, and although a lot of people in the, 
um, through COVID ended up in a space where they were sort of into in a forced sabbatical for a long period of time. A lot of pastors really had to step it up and learn how to do stuff online and learn how to care for people remotely and learn how to, you know, and so, you know, I know that at the beginning of COVID, I was still working in a church and my hours worked did not decrease when COVID started. They increased mm-hmm. significantly and that, you know, it took its toll. And I think it's taken its toll on a lot of pastors. Yeah, I'm seeing what I what I feel is happening is that now that a semblance of normal has come, that it's almost as if pastors can step back a little bit and take a deep breath and feel like, okay, is this normal? But then suddenly all of the undealt with trauma mm-hmm. is starting to surface mm-hmm. because pastors um, through through COVID, we're in a lose-lose situation. Mm-hmm. If you tried to comply with the health department requirements, there were people that were upset with you. If you chose not to comply, there were people who were upset with you. It's one of the first times in my, maybe the first time ever for me since 1984 being in ministry where you were in a situation where you were going to lose no matter what decision you made. Mm. And it wasn't going to be a small loss. It was, it was going to be a huge loss. Mm-hmm. And, and the, I think that got put on a shelf for a lot of ministry leaders, especially pastors. And then when the relief and the urgency of the moment kind of passed, now that stuff on the shelf is starting to come off the shelf mm-hmm. and, and surfacing. Mm-hmm. And that's where, um, that's where the work starts to begin. And God can do some deep work when that stuff starts to surface. But they all, we all, I should say, we all need guides. We need companions for the journey when we have to start dealing with that stuff coming off the shelf. Mm-hmm. And that's where my ministry in soul care and Jeremy's ministry in spiritual direction and comes into play. That's where I, I have a spiritual director that has helped me process. I have mm-hmm. Uh, colleagues and friends that have been my companions and have helped me. Um, and that that's extraordinarily important. And we recognize that not every ministry leader has that. Not every pastor has that. So we try to position ourselves to be that if they so reach out and choose. I imagine that uh, many of the people who come to the Sacred Journey retreats are these weary, burned out, tired people. Um, so brings up the question, who should attend a sacred journey retreat? Who should not attend a sacred journey retreat? Okay. Let me answer the question about who should not. If a person does not like Eugene Peterson and is hostile (laughs) towards Eugene Peterson, who thinks Eugene Peterson has done great damage to the church. That's probably a person that's not going to feel very welcome in my You're dipping your hand there, Jeff. <laughs> my my uh, protective nature is coming out. Uh, so I'm just. Other than that, that's my only caveat. You don't have to love him, but don't not like him. <laughs> but anybody. So we've had missionaries. We've had uh, uh, therapists. Um, and they're, and sometimes they come with their spouse. Sometimes they come without, um, 
So it doesn't in ministry leaders and, and the thing we, it doesn't, it's not a, it's free to the ministry participant. It's not free. So we, we don't charge anything for these. Um, and um, we want this to be an experience of grace and uh, compassion. Um, there are some parts of our retreat that we really feel powerful about, especially in the rhythms of how we approach those retreats. And Jeremy could probably speak to that pretty well. Yeah, I think the, the one of the things and the reason that I think basically anyone would would benefit from one of our retreats except a person who doesn't except like a person who doesn't like Eugene <laughs> um, uh, is that w- really what we are what we tell people at the beginning of our retreat is that this really is a retreat I think oftentimes you go to a a retreat and what that really is is some sort of workshop where you're really sitting in a in a room all day and taking notes and doing a lot of things and and although we do have some teaching our we try to keep that sort of measured and that it is not, it doesn't fill up the day. We provide a lot of space. We want, we provide a lot of room for conversation and a lot of space for rest, a lot of space for refreshment, um, really encourage people. We've, we've even, we even tell people, um, at the beginning of the retreat, like we're going to be offering some teaching times, but if what you need while you're here is to just go take a nap or to go for a walk, do that. Um, we, we think that what we're teaching has value, but we mm-hmm. also understand that the reason you're here is to, is to experience rest in a way that you maybe haven't experienced in a long time. And that means that we, we prepare really great food for people and we make, uh, we make a lot of room for people to, to, to pull us aside and say, Hey, can we talk for a few minutes and sit on the, on the deck and, and just have conversations and so these the slowing down, I think, is one of the big things that we offer. We encourage people to turn off their phones. And, you know, it, a lot of times it's pastors that are there. So we encourage them, like, during, the, during your break time, don't be writing your sermon for Sunday. Like, don't, don't do those things. Slow down with us, you know. And then we invite people into some different practices throughout the week that, that are really invitations to a different way of maybe entering back in. Um, we talk about uh, different ways of engaging with scripture. We talk about what it looks like to rest at different phases of life. One of the things that I think Joe and I bring together is, is that we are in different phases of life and ministry. Joe is an empty nester and me in the thick of you know, having little kids at home. And what does it look like for someone in Joe's phase of life to stop and to take a break and to rest on a regular basis to enter into a Sabbath space every week. And then what does that look like for me? Because we minister to people in both spaces and, and people. So people who have little ones at home and people who are at the, you know, towards the end of their ministry career. And we offer, we offer this retreat to, to, people in all of those spaces. And so one of the things that we're able to do is say, look, we know that this looks different depending on where you are in life. Mm-hmm. And, and we, and it can be done. It can't, it's a, a different, a different way of being is possible. Yeah. So we, we practice the, we, we, for many of them, we teach Lexio Divina. We teach uh, the prayer of examine. And we offer and, and we encourage Naptio Divina uh, in the afternoons. <laughs> the divine uh, nap. That's right. The divine sleep. 
but but those practices for some are new. They have not experienced Lexio. They've not experienced the prayer of examine or centering prayer, the contemplative life. And so for, for many of them, they have been so focused on, on caring and uh, running the machinery of a church and caring for the, for the others. They have, they, these ancient paths are, are unfamiliar to them. We, our theme verse for our retreat is Jeremiah 6, 16. It talks about the Lord, thus says the Lord, um, I'm going to quote Stand it at the crossroads and look. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Look for and, the ancient and, paths. Look for the ancient paths and walk, walk in them way. and you will find, and you will find rest for your soul. Mm-hmm. So we introduced that as these are the ancient paths. They, they're well worn by the poets and the pilgrims and the saints, but have maybe overgrown over the last few hundred years in modern life. They, mm-hmm. the whole idea of actually practicing Sabbath keeping, I, 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 I will ask ministry leaders, how's your Sabbath keeping? And they'll look at me and say, well, you know, COVID was tough. Um, it's, it's a tough season for us, but it's better than it used to be. But then I often will say, well, so, you know, that's in the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah, I know, but it's a tough <laughs> season. And then I'll say, so how's, um, how's the adultery going? No one ever says, well, this is a tough season. It's high stress. <laughs> um, I'm cutting back. I'm, it's not as bad as it used to be. And I'll have seen the murder and stealing. So you give, you're giving yourself a pass on Sabbath keeping. But you wouldn't do that with the others. Mm-hmm. And it is meant to be funny, but it's also meant to show the gravitas or the lack of gravitas that we give that commandment. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting because if you look through the the commandments, especially when Moses reintroduces them in Deuteronomy, he spends the most when he he spends the most time on Sabbath, the explanation of why it's celebrated. It, it, you know, he gives more time to that than anything else in in mm-hmm. the in the text. And so, it, it's really just an interesting thing that we have minimized it so much. And so, even part of our practice, we gather on Friday evening, and I um, in, I introduce every to every group, a, a Sabbath liturgy that we do in our home that just invites people to, to stop. And, and there's something about saying, we're going to, we're going to take some time to, to mark the beginning of this time that we're stopping. And then as we close our retreat, we do a, a sort of, it's in the Hebrew community, it's called Avdala. It's the closing of the Sabbath time together. And mm-hmm. it's a way to sort of gather the gifts of the Sabbath. And we, and so we introduce both of those practices because we've, we really believe that it's, it's so, it's a missing piece uh, in so many pastors' lives. Um, and at the same time, it's so vital for, mm. uh, for our, just our, our ability to, to stay connected and our, and our, um, just the, for our own souls, we need that stopping. Um, so, so it's, we've really emphasized that in our retreats. Let me tell you this quick story from our retreat that happened last week up in Portland, Oregon. We did our first um, offsite retreat and it was in, um, it was in, Raymond. actually it's in the state of Washington. Yeah. But we landed in Portland, but anyway, it was about 16 um, folks there and um, 
And when we did the Havdalah exercise and we, and in that we asked what was illuminating for you, what was, what reminded you the aroma of Christ and what was intoxicating to you because there's a fruit of the, of the vine there in the practice that we do, which was Welch's by the way, just to let you know, it was grape juice. Uh, in case any Southern Baptist are listening. Um, Cause this was a Southern Baptist group, to be honest. Uh, but one of the things that we, when we did that, and Jeremy and I both were so pleased with this, is that of the of all of the things that was said, probably over fifty percent, the things that was treasured was not the teaching; it was the space for rest. Mm-hmm. To me, that that spoke volumes, mm-hmm. um, and we both walked away thinking that that was the best one of the best compliments we've ever received was the space for rest and silence jeremy is famous for starting our retreats by saying joe and i are very comfortable with long periods of silence and i um, usually say you will not be comfortable (laughs) but we are Mm -hmm. and what was commented on was the silence and the space for rest was one of the most illuminating things for them it just it sounds like you know as you've uh, delved into this um, pattern uh, in in offering these retreats that at the heart of it is this desire to create a conviction in all of us about the need for and and the ways to experience rest experience soul rest Mm. Uh, and and to learn about those, you know, to wait for the Lord. I've, I'm, you mentioned Jeremiah, and I was thinking of Psalm 62. You know, my my soul finds rest in God alone, uh, and and having a conviction. I mean, is that fair to say that that would be the primary focus of your retreat? Hundred percent. Yeah, um, rest for your soul and learning to care for your soul, so that I can care for others, mm. um, and learning to care for your soul even if you don't care for others. I mean. If uh, learning to care for your loving your neighbor, I, I often will ask this question of myself. Jesus said to love uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and and I've often turned that and said, would my neighbor experience the agape love of God based on how well I love myself? And the answer is no. I mean, I am hard on myself. Often, I am my worst critic. I I do not give the agape love of God to Joe, and if I if I gave that volume of love to my neighbor, my neighbor would never know God. Mm. So I take it very seriously that caring for my soul is the best way for me to care for my because mm. it will flow from an over, it will come from an overflow of agape in my soul to my neighbor or to my congregant or to my wife. Um, but it has to start. I can't give away something that I do not own. Mm-hmm. And I do not possess. And th- and that kind of takes that away from the argument that says, well, this is all about navel gazing and just you know self gratification and and, uh, and it, I haven't seen not, my, I haven't seen my navel in a long time, <laughs> um, COVID. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this that's not the point. The point's not about if if my I, I think I saw Fred Beekner say this at the end of the day. The real test of your of your Christianity is how well you love others. And if my soul care does not cause me to love others 
more deeply, more, more selflessly, more like Christ love. If my soul care isn't doing that, if my faith walk isn't doing that, I'm doing it wrong. Mm. The sunum bonum of all of our life is to love others with the love of Christ. And if my faith is not creating that in the relationships in, in immediately close to me and those radiating out from that, then I'm doing it wrong. It's just not right. So I, the test for me is how well do I love others? How well do I solve conflict? How well do I engage um, the people that are very hard to love? And that really speaks to sort of the, it's not a different theme, but it is sort of how we get to this place of rest, which is one of the big things that we focus on is learning to recognize and rest in our own belovedness, that we are the beloved of God. Mm. And when we can learn to rest in that space, then everything else, you know, it, then the, then the load, beco- the yoke is easy. The burden is light, right? When we can recognize that before anything else, I'm the beloved. If I can sit with that and rest in that, that, that just opens up space in my own life in a way that, uh, that just doing more and that serving more and proving, you know, proving that I can, that I can love people well, just doesn't do right. That redoubling of my effort. You know, one of the things that, that, you know, we've, Joe and I have talked about is that no one, we, we are both busy in a lot of ways, but we're busy without being hurried. And I think, and some of that really is rooted in when you can rest in the reality of your belovedness in God, that no matter what else happens, the truest thing about you is that you are the beloved, man, there's just a way to, you can breathe differently. Um, And I think, I think what has been true for many pastors and was true for me is that I wanted other people to believe that, but I don't know that I believed it for myself Mm -hmm. for a lot of my Mm -hmm. ministry. Mm -hmm. I I have met with pastors who have made that very statement to me. I, I think that's true for everyone. I just don't, man, I just don't know about myself if it's, and, and so how do we really teach it? How do we, how do we help the people that we have been charged with as pastors to care for the souls of, to know and to rest in their belovedness if that's not settled in our own hearts. And so that's a piece that we, that's another piece that we really focus on, but that really is still an invitation to rest. Can I read, can I read for you? Um, I, this is a little awkward because um, uh, Sean's wonderful wife, Amy is a beautiful poet, but I wrote a little poem in a text that uh, I wouldn't say went viral, but a lot of people really globbed on to. Can I read it for you? Sure, sure. I don't know why I asked because I'm going to read it anyway. So. <laughs> um, so I just texted this to a couple of friends and they just loved it. And uh, But anyway, this is what it says. I'm no poet, but here we go. My deepest truth. Before my first sin, before a single star or subatomic particle was ever spoken into being, I existed in the mind of God as his beloved. Before I was a sinner, I was a son. That's the deepest truth about me. Deeper than my sin, 
is my belovedness. It's the deepest truth about me because it was the first truth about me and the last. Hmm. I posted that on Twitter and a man I've never met. He said, Pastor Joe, I'm 65 years old and I have never felt like I was the beloved of God. Hmm. I'm going to ponder what you just posted and hopefully it'll sink in. And I just went, okay. That's why we do what we do. And that has been the experience of many of the people who attend. You know, we got a letter last week from a gentleman in his 80s who was at a retreat who wrote us a letter at the end of the retreat and just said, I I came to this retreat not knowing what to expect, what I for sure didn't expect, that I was going to encounter a God who loved me the way mm-hmm. that you guys have helped me see this was that and just talks about you know i i didn't know how impoverished my soul was mm-hmm. until i came here and you guys helped me see that i am the beloved of god there are so many pastors who enter into ministry because they're looking for people to love them mm-hmm. Uh, and they're trying to love others while loathing themselves mm-hmm. rather than loving themselves. And this message that it, Joe, I think you've joked that this is the one sermon you preach over and over again, the life <laughs> of the beloved. Um, this message is, is really uh, what these pastors need to hear and, mm-hmm. and not just hear it, but experience it and, and see it lived out in your lives. Um, and, and so this, this leads us into what, what are you trying to teach people? What will people learn at the Sacred Journey Retreat? You have, have certain plans for them that you take them through. Uh, what, what are those things that you're, you're teaching? Well, we begin by um, teaching about how we move through our life. There are some stages of faith development um, that we walk folks through. and. Um, we call it the river of faith, um, and we we move through. Um, you know, when a person comes aware of God, and then they have entered into a disciple or learning life, and then they move into a productive life. But inevitably, there is waterfalls that and rapids that cause their lives to come undone. And so we describe those those experiences, and then we talk about what happens after the waterfall. And the beauty of life after a waterfall experience where maybe your your faith goes into crisis mode or your life falls apart or any number of traumatic things can happen. But after the waterfall, there's also a beautiful time of looking inside me and learning and reevaluating things and coming to terms with um, the new reality that there's more than just coming to faith in God and learning about God and getting plugged into the machinery of production and in the evangelical world. And then we talk about going down the river further and you start to think about how I can help others. How can I reach out? How can I be a guide? How can I love others well uh, and bring them along? And then the last part of that particular teaching, we talk about uh, living a life of love and loving everyone and loving them with the love of God and, and so that's kind of one of the things we also re- begin to talk about the identity piece. And Jeremy does an incredible 
work with some of the practices that can open up some space so that we can continue to hear the voice of God um, when it comes to the beloved being called the beloved. And he can talk about that particular part. Uh, we call it the rule for life or rule of life. Yeah, so we we will definitely, after we talk about identity and talk about just this recognition of of our belovedness that that we begin to then talk about some practices and the recognition that those practices are not ends in and of themselves. I think oftentimes when people begin to uh, first explore the concept of a rule for life or the concept of spiritual practices, the practices sort of become, well, that's, if I do the practices, that's, that's going to fix things for me. And the reality, one of the things that we talk about and, and really emphasize is that the practices are not they're not a silver bullet. They don't fix anything. All the practices do is make space in our lives to hear the voice that calls us beloved, because we need to be reminded of that. And, and so it's not the practices, you know, reading your Bible more is not the answer to a life that is, uh, is, is full and, and whole. Encountering Jesus is that. Right. It, and so the practices are simply ways that we make space to have an encounter with God on a regular basis. Which includes basis. engaging in the scriptures on a daily basis. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the, but the, when the, when we look at it and we recognize that our under, why we're engaging in that is so that we might have an encounter with Jesus, so that we might hear the voice that calls us beloved, then the motivation for that is completely different. You know, I, our 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 engagement with scripture probably slows down a lot. You know, we we talk in you know, most of our retreats about, you know, that our tendency to be like, oh, I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year. You know, and and Joe and I, neither one will come out and say, like, don't do that, but but I roll my eyes. <laughs> uh, you know. But what does it look like to slow down and allow this, the, the text to read us and to, to really speak to us in ways that we don't slow down enough to listen to for most of our lives? We talk about Sabbath keeping. We talk about prayer practices. We talk about the importance of companions for the journey. You know, that I, I am of the opinion, and this is not just because I'm a spiritual director, I am of the opinion that every pastor ought to have someone in their lives that is not connected to their work that they can go and sit with someone that is safe because there are so few safe places for pastors. And when we're having to deal with and unpack and sort through our own uh, crisis of faith, our own, the struggles that we're dealing with to have someone who doesn't care about our denomination, who doesn't care about how big our church is, who doesn't care, you know, that could not care less for any of that, but is just present to us to listen with us to how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. We believe that is of absolute importance for pastors and everyone else. But I think for pastors, it is, it's such a vital piece of our sort of building a rule for life that we have a, a safe space where we can sit and process our own journey. And so we talk about those practices. That's part of what we do in our retreats. And then we, and then we move on and begin to talk about. Yeah, we, we talk about trying to figure out our purpose, our significance. My dad, my dad did. He, when I became a pastor in 1984, he called me and he said, Joe, you're going to have to discover the gospel according to Joe. 
And I was 26. And I went, I don't even know what that means. And he said, well, you don't get to make up a gospel. Um, but just like there's a gospel according to Matthew and a gospel according to Mark, Luke, and John, all said the same gospel, but said it in different ways. You're going to have to discover the gospel according to Job. And I was 26 at the time, and I was clueless. I now do understand. He was saying, I have to find my unique voice. What is my sermon? Sean, you chided me a bit about what is what is the one what is the one thing what is it about you that draws people into longing for being the beloved what is it about you that points people to god what spiritual gifts what talents what what do you bring into this that is so unique to you that others experience the aroma of christ how how and another way of thinking about it is I believe the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I'll talk with a Galilean accent. Mm-hmm. That there's just something about he he's he's been with the man from Galilee. I can tell. And I want to, I want to, I want that. So we spend a goodly amount of time trying to help folks kind of parse and we tell our stories how we've come to understand that. Jeremy tells his, I tell mine, um, what why we're on the planet. Um and and that's that's a huge part of what we uh, believe is important because when you can figure out the gospel according to Sean, then you stay in that lane. You don't have mm-hmm. to do more than you than God's shaped you and gifted you and to do. You you know exactly your place in the orchestra, and you don't try to play somebody else's chair. I mixed the metaphors all over the place on that one, didn't I? <laughs> The the freedom and uh, the ease that comes from knowing your shape, your ministry, your calling, um, your gospel is is so amazing. Um, it keeps us from trying to check all those boxes that Jeremy was talking about earlier. And it's what's beautiful about that too is that one of the things we really talk about is how it's not uh, often our vocation may be a part of that unique way that we've been called to be in the world. But when it really comes down to it, our significance isn't, doesn't require a particular job. You know, I think for so many pastors, the, our identity is so enmeshed with our work, with our call, so to speak, that we don't know how to disentangle those two things. And so when we, you know, when something happens in our lives where maybe I can't be in ministry anymore, maybe that's because of some personal failure. Maybe it's because I, you know, a health problem or something like that. We get to a place where we go, oh, I'm, you know, who am I if I can't be a pastor at a church? Mm. And the reality is, is that our significance is not our job. Yeah. It transcends what we get paid to do. Yeah. Right. And so, so I know what that is for me and Jeremy understands what that is for him. And what we have learned is that if I, if I step out of the pastorate, I'm still going to do what I've been put on the planet to do. Mm. It It's in my, it's in my soul. And it's the way I express my belovedness to this world. Mm-hmm. And it's, it'll, it'll happen if I'm a Walmart greeter, it'll happen if, um, I'm a pastor. And so all of those things are super, as you mentioned, Sean, freeing. 
I mean, um, you just don't feel the pressure to perform and to achieve. And yet achievement happens. Stuff happens. People are drawn to someone who is a non-anxious presence because they're not trying to validate their existence with the ego stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's, that's our goal in the sacred journey. And, you know, uh, this, this whole um, battle that, that an individual have who's a pastor against the pastoral persona, um, it, it's, it's tough to, to set that aside. I mean, how have you seen that when, when pastors come to, to the sacred journey uh, and uh, are maybe struggling with um, disassociating their value, their identity with, with their vocation? Uh, are there particular things that you found are, are helpful to share with them or uh, ways to address that? Yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I have come to believe that there are two things that will move people towards what we're trying to describe. And one of those is pain. Hmm. Pain pushes us towards living a life of belovedness and expressing that in unique ways to the world. Pain will force us, push us that way, or beauty will pull us. Beauty will compel us. And, I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to create the the pain for the participants in our retreat. They often come there with their own pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what we try to show is that 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 pain is the friend that nobody wants. Mm-hmm. That pain can be the place of of deep awareness and deep discovery. And then, so we just let life do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Life has a way of creating its own waterfall. But we also try, what Jeremy and I try to really do is paint a a vision of a future. That life is so beautiful. There is an abundant life. Jesus said it was. And to create that and to share that in the stories that we tell of of our own journey and and to point to the new heavens and the new earth that are talked about in Revelation 21 and to really try to articulate a beautiful future from a good and beautiful God. And hopefully that beauty will pull people uh, into that understanding that they are not what they do. Mm-hmm. They are bigger than that. They are they're deeper than that. Yeah, I think the truth is, is that everything that we do is really drawing people into. The whole retreat is really designed to help people begin to disassemble that um, that way of being and that way of thinking about pastoral ministry. Um, I, you know, I, at our last retreat, I, there's an analogy that has been really present to me for a long time. Um, when I was called into ministry, I, I thought, you know, I I was called into ministry in an era when what that meant was that you could be a pastor or a missionary. And so, you know, I stepped in and I jumped into ministry and I, and 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 I struggled my whole life with some of that because what pastor means for most people is something more like a CEO. Um, there's this role that is doesn't look very pastoral. It looks like a bunch of responsibilities that aren't shepherd responsibilities. And a, a few years ago, I was I was thinking a lot about that and my own sort of journey of of recognizing that God has called me in. 
God has called me to be a shepherd, but that didn't necessarily mean that I had to be serving in a local church in the way that, in the sort of traditional way that I, that I thought it meant. Mm. And the story of David came to mind when David, um, goes to the valley to talk to his brothers, to bring some lunch to his brothers. And he finds out that Goliath has been taunting the, the Israelites. And, uh, and he says, you know, this isn't okay. Like we need to take care of this, you know? And Saul, Saul says, "Uh, yeah, you, you go do that. (laughs) Right. Um, And then he says, but here, put on my armor, put, take my armor and put on my armor. And David gets kind of gets in this armor and goes, this is not me. Mm. You know, I'm a shepherd. I need the tools of a shepherd to do what I'm going to do, not the tools of a king. And what I realized for me, and I think what is true for a lot of people who are called to be pastors is that they have spent a lot of their lives in what, what I refer to as ill-fitting armor because they've been told that to be a pastor is this list of things that, that really doesn't connect to the shepherd heart that God has given them to shepherd people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet the invitation of the sacred journey is to say, you've been called to be a shepherd. What does it mean to step out of the armor, to stop trying to be a king and to, and to be a shepherd? Um, and that's really been, I think, I think that's part of the invitation of the sacred journey of, to live into what God really has called you to, to be as, as a shepherd and not try to be something that you're not. So just as, as we're talking, I'm thinking there might be some pastors who are out there saying, this sounds wonderful. It sounds great. It sounds a little bit too good to be true. I I just, I just want to say it's not Mm -hmm. Um, really what you guys are describing is exactly what Amy and I experienced when we were there. Um, the sacred journey is a ministry of presence. Uh, you guys just provide a calm, uh, just welcoming and Christ-like presence to everyone who's there. And you do it not just through teaching, not just through, you know, good food, but there's there's other things that go on during the sacred journey. Could you just, uh, I know you've hit on them a little bit, but could you, you, Touch on those just a, once more. What happens besides teaching, besides eating? Well, sleep, uh, rest. Um, we, my home is at the base of Princeton, Mount Princeton, 14,000 foot mountain. And so folks have gone for walks. Um, they experience that. We also have at the end of the day, uh, right before the great silence, we call it the great silence at, at night. Um, we have listening groups. And Jeremy and another uh, person who works with our with our ministry called her name is Sandy will lead in group spiritual direction, which is new for a lot of folks that haven't experienced something like that. And we have the ladies meet in one place, and the guys will meet someplace else. And uh, Jeremy leads in that group spiritual direction for the guys, and Sandy leads um, for the ladies. And I go to bed. because I'm an old guy. So those are, those are some other things. Um, but the walks, the, the sitting and, and just being, we have a hammock people. Oh, and cornhole and Amy won, I think <laughs> at cornhole. So that's Good an important piece. Yeah. So 
Um, that's what I'm thinking of, Jeremy. Yeah, just lots of spaciousness, lots of room for conversations. Um, we make ourselves available during those times of of just of rest to say, hey, if you just want to have a conversation, we're available for that. Um, but you're but you're right, Sean. A lot of it is just a ministry of presence that we want. We want to be available to you or unavailable as much as you need us to be. You the know? ministry of absence is also <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you two quick stories that were complimented do, yeah. that, that blew us away? What we did a retreat, I want to say it was maybe a year or two years ago, I can't remember. This couple um, came and they had a new baby. Uh, I think it was just learning to walk. Isn't that right, Jeremy? The yeah. Little one? yeah. And so they, we normally say uh, no kids because um, we're just not set up for that. Right. Mm-hmm. But she said, um, well, she sleeps all the time. So, and I'm thinking that usually means no, um, <laughs> but they brought their little one and the little one did sleep the whole time. But when we had meals, the little one just kind of walked around and, and, and of course we had some grandparents there that just loved that little one there. But the, the compliment that was shared at the Habdala um, was this. What we loved about being in, in this home was that every day felt like Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, I mean, my wife started tears in her eyes and I had a little bit of leakage in my eyes because we just think, you know, the best part of Thanksgiving is that there was good food there was good fellowship. There was just this sense of welcome. And man, that was the highest compliment. Wasn't my teachings. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the food. It was the, it was the atmosphere. And we love that. The other compliment that I wanted to share with you is a weird one. I was doing some soul care with an Episcopal priest. And um, he looked at me after uh, our time together and he said, uh, how did he put it? He said, Joe, uh, Pastor Joe, I'm going to have to change my opinion about Southern Baptist after having spent a week with you. And I said, I wouldn't do that. Um, you should not judge Southern Baptist by me. I'm an outlaw. Um, what we are also find, and you said, you mentioned this, uh, Sean, that is it too good to be true? We're also know, we know, we know that we invite people to live the way that we have discovered to live. Not everybody wants to live that way mm. or is ready to live that way. And to hold that loosely in our hands is also a spiritual discipline that Jeremy and I have had to work on. Um, we are, I would call ourselves evangelists for the contemplative life. Mm-hmm. And like all evangelists, you share the good news, but not everybody responds to it. And mm. And we have cut, we have to come to terms with that's okay. Maybe not yet. Maybe not yet. So if someone wanted to learn more about your sacred journey retreats, how could they do that? How could they sign up for one? Well, I'm sure you're going to have show notes. What we could do is we have a website and we'll leave that with you. Um, We also can, they can reach out to uh, us through our email addresses and we can leave that in the show notes for you also. Um, but it's first come first served. We can only handle at our home. M- most all of the retreats happen in my home, by the way, we, we can't hold everybody in our, our, our home, but we have cabins or um, yeah, I'm just going to call them cabins or people have mother-in-law homes or, you know, the extra rooms and, 
they're really nice. I mean, I mm-hmm. think the, the home you, you and Amy stayed in, Sean, was really nice. Oh, it's uh, Steve and Cindy Blount's place. And and so we we provide really nice places for folks to stay that are around 10 minute drive from our from our house. Then we come to our house for the meals and for the teaching times. And then folks can go back to their their space. But the, it's first come, first serve. We can only handle about four couples, five at the most. They don't have to be couples. It's sometimes the guys, mm-hmm. the folks will come without their spouse. Um, but that's about the limit on, on our space. On our in, in Buena Vista, we can do larger like we did last week. There were 16 there. Uh, but it was at a conference center. Um, so I would say uh, email would be the best way. And we'll leave you that uh, email addresses and um, website. Hmm. And it's free. Which is amazing to consider. Uh, and uh, we'll be sure to include uh, access to your other ministries, your soul care and counseling in the spiritual direction uh, so that folks can get in touch with you. Uh, we like to end our podcast by giving our guests an opportunity to to answer uh, a question we ask every time. And so I'll I'll ask Jeremy, I'll ask you to answer this first. And then Joe, what words of hope would you like to offer to our listeners today? Mm. You know, I think the words of hope that I would offer are uh, simply that there is another way to live. The rat race that you've been in, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. There's another way to live. I guess I would say, um, to quote uh, Macrina Whitaker, um, oh God, help me to believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. (laughs) The deepest truth about everybody is that you're the beloved of God. So just relax. Guys, I want to just thank you so much for first allowing Amy and I to come and be part of one of these sacred journeys. It was one of the highlights of our summer. Uh, Joe, thank you again for being the voice for our intro and outro on Hope Renewed. Uh, You've upped our quality level quite a bit there with that, but also thank you both for taking your time and being generous with us today. Thank you. And Jeremy, I want to thank you for being the softer side of the pair. (laughs) We do have a, we're going to change the name of our retreat to good cup and bad cup. uh, (laughs) And we want to thank our listeners as well. Uh, You can access uh, our podcast and leave comments at hoperenewedpodcast.com. We would love it if you would do that. And it is our prayer that your hope is continually renewed as you fix your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for joining us on Hope Renewed. Please help us reach more pastors by sharing this episode with your friends. If you enjoy this podcast, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, or your favorite platform for receiving podcasts. Thank you. This means the world to us. The Hope Renewed Podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. At PIR, we partner with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration. Pastors, our goal is to help you cultivate new hope for healthy life and ministry. We do this by building relationships. We train both pastors and churches to promote a culture of ministry health. If you've experienced a forced exit from ministry, We provide a process of restoration for you and your family. We also have proven resources and tools to assist you in the challenges of ministry life. 
To contact us or to learn more about PIR, visit PIRMinistries.org.